0: Yeah, we have uh, several hundred folks a week that continue to watch online, and I'm excited for those of you that are here in person. We're excited that you watch, uh, for those that watch online, we hope that you'll join us in person soon, uh, as soon as you can. Uh, This is a kids' life weekend, a fam jam weekend, so that means we got the kids with us uh, for worship from kindergarten to fifth grade, and so I see the kids' life team is scattered around the room ready to take you guys out of here so y'all can do kids' church and kids' life. So, kindergarten to fifth grade, now's your chance. Now's your chance to escape before I chatted up with mom and dad and grandpa and grandma and whoever else you came with. Uh, Church family, why don't we love on these kids and celebrate them? I'm glad that they're here. Love these kids. Uh, All right, man, we got a pile of them. Uh, Good deal, good deal. So if you have your Bibles, Acts chapter 19. We're studying through the book of Acts Uh, We've been going kind of section by section, we've hit most of the chapters, we've hit many of the verses, but this is a style of teaching that we believe very much in here at GBC called uh, expository preaching, meaning we let the Word of God drive our conversations. Um, and every now and then we'll do topical stuff or we'll you know, show you different places in the scripture that address certain things in our lives. But most of the time we just go through whole books of the Bible because we know that God has addressed those things for our lives and we want to make sure we're allowing his word to drive those conversations. So we're in Acts chapter 19 as we've been studying through it. We've been taking a, a close look at the life of the first century church, the first century Christians, um, the first ever Christians, um, and how they... Uh, walk through this journey of loving Jesus, reaching their community, and doing so without the help of podcasts, resources, right now media, books, years and years and years of fiery sermons, like they had two things going for them, Um, remembering the words and work of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, and they were just having to trust him every step of the way. We still have those in our lives today as 21st century American Christians. We still have the reminder of the words and work of Jesus. We have unlimited resources uh, nowadays to help cultivate our walk with him and our knowledge and understanding of him, but we also had the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling, dwelling within us. That's one of the big themes we've seen through the book of Acts is like, anyone who steps in to a relationship with the Lord Jesus has now signed up to be a kingdom building disciple maker. Uh, the Lord has saved you not just for you. He saved you for the people around you, believe it or not. Uh, you just so happened to be the first one that got plucked out. And he wants to equip you to be a minister, to be a missionary right where he has planted you in the world around you. And so as we study the word of God, especially as we've been studying through the book of Acts, we've been learning from these first century brand new Christians what it looked like to reach their communities with the gospel, and to spark revival right in the middle of their cities. I'm going to be moving really quick through some material this morning because I have four different categories of people that we need to discuss um, as it pertains to Acts chapter 19. Um, Here's what's going to happen. We're going to see four different categories of people that the Apostle Paul is ministering to, and we're going to learn as Christ followers what it means to and how do we go about ministering to these four different categories of people. Now, there are some of you in here that will recognize that you are actually in one of the categories of people. Um, I will spend a couple minutes kind of addressing that and talking to you and trying to encourage you. But ultimately, I'm hoping that the Spirit of God like just grabs hold of your heart and shows you how to graduate from that season of your life into being a, someone who is well on the road to being a fully formed disciple who is making disciples to the glory of God and for the good of our communities. Now, um, well, we might as well just get started. Um, this is going to be like super practical, I hope. I'm going to throw all the thoughts on the screen for you note takers so you can jot this stuff down. And we're going to trust the Lord with the outcome of this and how it materializes in our lives, all right? Um, You'll notice, I think, that as we're looking at these four different types of folks that the Apostle Paul was ministering to, they run striking parallels to the four types of people Jesus told us about in Mark chapter 4 when he says, hey, uh, when he told us the parable of the sower, When Jesus said, hey, you know, when you're out there spreading the seeds of the gospel, some are going to land on the path and get snatched away by the birds. Some are going to land in fertile soil. Some will land in rocky soil. Some will land in soil full of thistles and weeds and thorns. I think we're going to see those four categories of soil played out in this encounter in the Apostle Paul's life. So here's group number one. Acts chapter 19 starting in verse 1, it says, and it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country, and he came to a place called Ephesus. All right, say Ephesus. Ephesus. All right, if you're wondering what to do during your quiet time this week, all right, when Paul wrote a letter back to the people of Ephesus, he called the book what? Ephesians. Ephesians. Yeah, so as you're as we're studying through the book of Acts, you can actually go read the letters that Paul wrote to those people, and you get a closer look at what was happening in his mind and what was happening while he was in the city. When he was at Corinth, he wrote back to the Corinthians. When he was Ephesus, he wrote to the Ephesians, and so on and so forth. You get the idea. Now, when he was in Ephesus, he found some disciples. Say some disciples. <laughs> yeah, there were some already there. He found some while he was there, and he said to them, hey, um, uh, Did you ever receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, as a matter of fact, we've never even heard of the Holy Spirit. And so he said, into what then were you baptized? And they said, well, we were baptized into John's baptism, John the Baptist. We were baptized into John's baptism. baptism." And Paul said, well, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, so that's good, telling the people to believe in the one who is to come after him. And that is Jesus. Guess what? He's come. I'm here to give you all some new news, he says. He's come. He's did the thing. And on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them. They began speaking in tongues and prophesying. And there were about 12 men and all. Really sweet moment where the gospel takes root in these 12 guys' lives right here in Ephesus. This is group number one. These guys are all about it. They love every bit of what they know about the Lord and his words and his ways. Problem is, they just don't know a whole lot yet. They needed somebody to stop by and explain more for them. So this is category number one. This is the people of the untrained mind. The heart's in the right place. They love Jesus. They love everything they know about him. They're, They're being faithful to that. Bottom line is, man, they just need somebody to stop by and coach them up. This is the category of the fertile soil that Jesus talked about. Man, I love these folks. We got all kinds of folks like that in our church family. Man, whatever it is that they do know of the Lord, they walk faithfully to it. But the good news is, There's so much more for us to learn and grow in our relationship with Him. That's why we gather together in this environment. That's why we have Grace University classes on Wednesday night. This is why we start at a young age training your children and and exposing them to the Word of God. We don't do uh, child care here at Grace Bible. We do children's ministry from the time that they're in the nursery, from the time that they're being rocked as babies. They are singing worship songs over those children. There is worship music playing in the background. Those volunteers are ministering to those babies before they even understand what in the world's coming out of their mouth because we believe in training Christ followers. We want to lead everybody into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. This particular category of folks that the apostle Paul came across, man, they they were faithful to what they knew. They just didn't know a whole lot. I bet some of y'all might find yourself in that category this morning. All right, if you're in that category, first of all, I'm thrilled about the fact that you are hungry to grow in your relationship with the Lord. And let me tell you, like, you being here is one of the many environments that are going to help cultivate your relationship with the Lord. But there's so much more that needs to be done. And just so you know, like, you're not going to grow in your relationship with the Lord at the trajectory that he longs for you to if your relationship with him starts on Sunday mornings at 10 and it ends at about 11.15. You hear what I'm saying? Like, you, you have to actively step into this relationship that you have with him. And I would encourage you, um, sign up for some of our Grace University classes when we offer them. We just wrapped up a series on Gospel Basics. We just finished a ladies-only group um, that was uh, how to understand and study your Bible. We have a group that is Spanish-speaking only that's studying the group uh, uh, the, the book of Galatians. We'll recycle and we'll offer more class. We have a large group in here where we're studying the book of Acts in more detail. Um, on Wednesday nights, It happens at, all that happens at six o'clock. And so there's, there's options, but even beyond that, let me challenge you. If you're not already doing this, give God your first 15. Commit at the beginning of every day to begin your day with the Lord. That may mean, that may mean having to wake up 15 minutes earlier. Law, Dustin, you getting in my business now? <laughs> 15 minutes. Just start. Start there. Before you know it, like your time with the Lord, it may be five one day, it may be 50 the next. There's no telling what the Lord is going to do, but that's the space where you meet with him one-on-one and grow and get in his word. You may not totally understand it right up front. We've got resources that can help you with that, but the Holy Spirit is is going to be coaching you and teaching you how to understand what the Lord is saying to you because this is how you grow to meet him where he already is, right here in his word and worship and prayer for those of you that are in that category. For those of you disciple makers that you've been doing that for a while, you're growing in your faith, you're ready to make disciples of this category, here's our right response. Here's what we can learn from the Apostle Paul of how to make disciples of people that are a part of this people group. Uh, Thing number one, I want you to notice in verse one, Paul recognized them as disciples. This is actually kind of a big deal because keep in mind, they were not yet followers of Jesus. They were followers of the fact that they knew Jesus was coming. They had been baptized by John the Baptist. Remember, John the Baptist was the voice from the wilderness crying out, prepare you the way of the Lord. And John the Baptist said, the one that comes after me is one that I'm not even worthy of tying his sandals. That's all they knew. That was the extent of their knowledge. But they trusted that with all of their heart. They believed in the Messiah to come. They knew that John's promises were true, that God's promises through John were true, I should say. And they were trusting in that. Nobody had sent them the memo yet that Jesus had come and did the thing. His words and work were sufficient for their salvation. They were faithful to that. And before they even knew that, I want you to know the Apostle Paul referred to them as disciples. Man, you are are faithful to God to the extent of your knowledge of the word of God. But I just stopped by to give you all some good news. The Messiah has come. And he has come to set us free. And they confessed Jesus as Lord. And they were baptized They received the power of the Holy Spirit in their life. It was an extraordinary moment. But start number one. Oh, disciple makers wanting to make disciples of this fertile soil. Start by acknowledging the fact that they are in the family of God, that God is inviting them in and doing a work on their heart and invest your life into making disciples. Number two pops up in verse 2 and 3. Notice that the apostle Paul, he didn't give them a lot of information until he asked questions. You got to start by asking questions. Oh, holy rolling Bible thumper. I know we got a whole lot that we want to tell them, but don't overwhelm them until you know where it is they're coming from and understand where the disconnect and their biblical knowledge is. Notice he started with a broad question. Just said, hey, uh, you guys received the Holy Spirit yet? And they're like, no, we never even heard of that. What is that? And he says, well, okay, okay. Well, let me ask you another question. Who, who then did your baptizing? Like, Oh, it was John the Baptist. And then Paul's like, oh, okay, I get it now. Y'all just hadn't got the memo that Jesus had come. So start asking some meaningful questions in our lives. Get to know them. Get to know their context and their history. And, man, did you grow up in church? Man, are you new to this? Like, tell me a little bit about your relationship with God. How's he answering your prayers? What are you praying about in this time in your life? Just start asking questions. Get some context, man, of what's going on and these people that are new to the faith. By the way, people of the untrained mind, this is not an age-specific category. I know some young people that are hard and fast running after the Lord. They're putting themselves in every environment to grow in their faith. And they have leapfrogged generations ahead of them in their growth and walk with Jesus. There's people that may, you, you may have been a Christian for the last four or five decades, but haven't been growing in your walk with Christ. You're just as much a baby in Jesus as you were 40 years ago when you gave your life to Christ if you haven't been walking with him over these 40 years. This isn't an age-specific category. We need to identify old disciple-makers the people in our lives that fall into the category of the untrained mind. Let's recognize them as disciples, jump into their lives, start asking questions, get to know where they're at. And last but not least, thing number three, let's don't leave this one out, obviously. Teach them. Yeah, You. Hey, you ought to stop by my church and let Dustin teach you. How about you do it at your house, around your breakfast table, with a DNA guide or the Word of God or a helpful resource to help them understand? Teach them. Yeah, remember Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Teach them. This is part of the disciple-making process. Ask the questions, figure out where they're at, and begin to teach them. I love this group of people. It is fertile soil. This is T-ball of discipleship, Grace Bible. Get in and get involved because these folks want to know, and they want to grow, and God has placed you into their lives. All right? People group number two. People group number two, verse eight, it says, Then he entered the synagogue, and for three months, say three months, for three months, the apostle Paul spoke boldly. This was happening on a daily basis. For three months, Paul spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them, these Jews that were in the synagogue, not followers of Jesus yet, persuading them about the kingdom of God. But, but when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, and they even went as far as speaking evil of the way, which was what they called the Jesus movement of their day, they spoke evil of the way before the congregation. It is at that point he withdrew from them, took those that had become disciples with him. He rented a place across town, the hall of Tyrannus, and he continued for two years there teaching them. All the res- and through that, all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Here's, here's category number two. You might find yourself in this category this morning. I call this the people of the hardened heart. We just saw people of the untrained mind. Now we're looking at the people of the hardened heart. This is the rocky soil Jesus talked about in Mark chapter 4. There's a little bit of soil there. They're willing to have some dialogue. There's some opportunity for some seeds to get planted because there's at least an open discussion happening. But it's because the soil is so deep For all intents and purposes, it just feels like they're just outright rejecting the message. But Paul continued day after day, month after month, for three months, ministering to these people the Word of God so that they could have the possibility of understanding the work of Jesus and their life being transformed. Now, before I jump into how we are to respond, ye old disciple maker, let me respond to the people that are in the room or online that fall into the category of the people of the hardened heart. I know you are here. I don't know who you are, but I know you're watching, and I know you're in this room listening. Not only do I not know who you are, there's probably some people sitting around you that you know well, and they may not even know that you fall into this category because this is something that's happening inside of you. you. You play the church thing well because... Maybe it feels like the right thing to do. Maybe it just keeps the in-laws or the family off your back. Maybe because you want your kids to grow up in church, but you, you, you just, I mean, in your heart of hearts, you're just kind of like at arm's length at best. Um, maybe, maybe you've gone through something so significant and so traumatic in your life that you've just kind of thrown God into time out because you don't understand why he wouldn't have stepped in and did the God miracle thing and fixed your situation and you're carrying anger and bitterness and now the the soil of your heart is really shallow and you've got a hardened heart toward the gospel, toward the things of God, towards the people of God. Maybe you just grew up in a religious household and your mom and dad crammed religion down your throat so much in your life, the idea of it just kind of turns you off. Maybe you grew up in Catholic school and them nuns wrapped your knuckles so many times you just kind of threw your hands up at the whole religious thing, like, I don't know what happened or what's been going on in your life, but what I do know is that most people that outright reject Jesus as Lord are not actually rejecting Jesus as Lord. They are rejecting all of the things that they have projected onto Jesus. You see what I'm saying? Especially here in the Bible Belt South. We've done a really great job over the last couple hundred years of like pushing people away from the gospel. So much so that there's like a stigma of Christians. And some of y'all might be carrying the burdens and the stings and the pains of really bad Christianity throughout your life. And as a result, you have projected all of those hurts onto Jesus and you feel like you are rejecting Jesus. But in reality, you're rejecting that bad preacher you're rejecting that family member. You're rejecting that ex-spouse that was so hyper-religious that they tried to manipulate you into having a relationship with God. You're rejecting church people that you have perceived to be hypocritical. You are rejecting, you get the idea? So just like the Apostle Paul did, before we move on and I talk to disciple-making Christians, I need to talk to the group of the heart and heart and just say to you, before you Reject Jesus. I just need to make sure you know what it is that you are rejecting, okay? You're not rejecting that priest, that preacher, that church, those parents. You're not rejecting organized religion. You're not rejecting hypocritical Christians. You're not rejecting any of that. Just so you know, I just want to make sure you know. All of those things are a part of the world of Christianity, but that is, not, that is not Jesus himself. You know, Jesus thought it so important to extend an invitation to the world to be a part of his family and to be made right with God and have your sins forgiven. He thought it so important to extend that invitation personally, that instead of sending it through the angels, and that's their job, they're the messengers, they're the invitation hander-outers, instead of doing that, he decided, you know what? I'm gonna go myself, and I'm gonna live with them for a while and build a relationship with them, and then I'm going to invite them to be a part of my family and my house and to be forgiven of your sins and to be made right with God. And so he lived life with us. For 32, 33 years, a man named Jesus of Nazareth dwelt the face of the earth. He was the most polarizing figure in human history. There is none that compares to the controversy that surrounds him, to the followers that he has. There is none that compares. This isn't churchy religious talk. This is just world history I'm talking about right here. He came saying things and doing things that nobody had ever said and done before. The passion of the followers that he had was so significant and so powerful for the next several centuries, people were laying down their lives for the sake of furthering the gospel to the tune of millions of Christians. But in the days that he walked the face of the earth, the passion of his rejectors was also so strong, they just wanted to kill him. And so they did. And then a few days later, he showed up and they were all scratching their heads, thinking, I thought we just killed this dude. And then here he is, pumping gas. What in the heck? And I can assure you that the Jewish synagogue. And the Roman authorities exhausted every ounce of resources that they had to try to figure out what in the world had happened. But surely the one that was crucified was now alive, and he was eating with people, hanging out at the beach, cooking fish on the shoreline, having conversations with hundreds of disciples at a time, out in public so everybody could see it on a hillside, so that even people in town could watch. He was alive because it was God and he had conquered death. And the reason why he died on the cross for our sins and rose again from the grave is so that he could conquer death and all the dead things that life has to throw at us, namely sin. Which sin, by the way, your sin and my sin, according to the scriptures, makes us enemies with God. Scripture literally refers to it as we were at war with God when we were in our sin. We didn't stand a chance of being made right with God. The sacrificial system couldn't have pulled it off and your good behavior would have never been able to make it. And so God showed up with an invitation in his hand, delivered through some nails and his hands and feet and a spear in his side to let the world know, I love you so much, I'm going to pay the price that you cannot pay. And he paid for all of our sin. Whosoever would believe in him, would have all their sins paid for, would be made right with God once and for all, for all time, past, present, and future sin paid for, so that you could be made right with God and so that your eternity could be secured, that you would be able to dwell with him in his glory forever with all the other whosoevers that chose to follow Jesus. Oh, and we're gonna be surprised who's in heaven, let me tell y'all. There's gonna be some wild whosoevers up there. And there's gonna be some really churchy whosoevers that never chose Jesus, and we're gonna be shocked that they ain't there. But God so loved the world that he wanted to deliver the invitation personally and pay the price personally so that you could be with him. And whosoever believes in his words and in his work shall be saved. Their sins shall be forgiven. They are adopted into the family of God and their future is secure. I just wanted you to know that if you're rejecting Jesus, that's what you're rejecting. None of that has anything to do with your church hurt or your old preacher or your old priest or that nun or your parents. It has nothing to do with that. I want to make sure if you're going to reject Jesus and you find yourself in the category of the stony heart that you know what it is that you're rejecting. Oh, disciple maker, you have folks with a stony heart in your life. And we have a responsibility to enter into their discipleship story, to make an investment, a deposit for the glory of God. Um, here is what we see modeled in the Apostle Paul's life. Verse 8, he intentionally had a gospel-centered relationship with them. Intentionally. We're making gospel investments in his life. Relationships with gospel intentionality. Verse 8, we see that. For daily, for three months, he was gathering together on their turf where they were already hanging out. He went to them just to have conversations with them to help clear up the fog of what it is that Jesus had done for them. And that takes us to our second one. Not only was he doing that, but he took the time to answer legitimate questions. He didn't waste his time piddling around answering questions. Can God make a rock so big he can't pick it up? That'd be a waste of time for him to discuss. But he knew that in the group, like there were people who There were just some unanswered questions in their mind, and if he could help them arrive at a cognitive place of ascent, then their heart would get on board with it. And so he spent all the time he had to answer all the hard questions, and that's that's what the Lord invites us to do. As long as they're willing to talk, as long as dialogue can happen, and there's some open conversation and some hard questions, Let's jump in. Let's have the conversation. If you don't know the answer to their questions, bring it to your pastors and elders. We're not going to know the answers to all the questions, so we're going to go up the ladder and we're going to talk to people that we know that might know the answers to the questions. But we want to do every effort to minister to the stony-hearted person by helping them realize like, that this walk-by-faith-and-not-by-sight story of walking with Jesus is not just a blind faith. I mean, there's evidence all around us. There's good cognitive answers to a lot of life's hardest stuff, and it's right here in the Word of God. Let's spend some time doing that. Last but not least, the question that we asked then was then, how long do we do that? And he answers that question too. He hung around until their disinterest became destructive. You get that? As long as they were just disinterested, he kept creating spaces to talk with them. When their disinterest became destructive, it told us right there that they started speaking evil of the way in the congregation. They weren't just having open dialogue anymore. They wanted to be destructive about it. And at that point is when he packed up his stuff, he grabbed those that had chosen to follow Jesus, and he said, hey, I rented a place across town. Let's start having church over there for a while. I'll invest in the ones that want to be invested in. But he took some time. And it wasn't until their disinterest became destructive that he decided to throw up the white flag And move on. This next group, this gets interesting. This will be a whole sermon in itself, this little section, but we'll have to just skim over it for the sake of this conversation. God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, verse 11, so that even his handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and evil spirits came out of them. Yow, Yo! Man, I want, I want that. That's what I'm talking about. Powerful stuff. Everybody in town was starting to take notice of it, including the people who weren't followers of Jesus, particularly the, these guys. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists, so these are traveling Jewish guys who don't believe in Jesus, but they, their job is to cast demons out, apparently, They undertook, they saw what was happening with Paul and assumed that, well, saying Jesus' name must be the magic words. So they undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus, who they didn't even believe in, over those who had evil spirits. And this is how they would say it. I adjure you by the Jesus of whom Paul talks about. Hmm. And the seven sons of the Jewish high priest named Sceva, while they were doing this, one of the evil spirits talked back. Yo. And this is what he said. Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who the heck are y'all? <laughs> ain't never heard of y'all before. Obviously no threat to the kingdom of darkness. Y'all ain't even on my registrar here. And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered All of them and overpowered them, whooped all their heinies. And then they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this became known throughout all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. And fear fell upon them all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ was extolled, exalted, lifted up high. You get the idea. Hey, this is people group number three. People group number three that the apostle Paul were ministering to was the people of a selfish motive the people of a selfish motive. I call this the ones that Jesus talked about, the thorny soil. There's some depth to the roots there because they are taking notice of the power of what Jesus can do and is doing and they want to be a part of that. The problem is there are other things rooted in their soil that are choking out the authenticity of their walk with God because those things are growing faster. This is the group of the selfish motive, all right? This is the group just I'm I'm assuming you don't know any itinerant Jewish exorcists. So this is the group that shows up to church to hand out business cards. Much like the itinerant Jewish exorcists, they love the idea of what Christianity what Jesus can do for them but they have really no plan of like surrendering their life to Christ they want Christianity without the Christ they see Jesus as a great resource but they're not banking their life on him as the source of their life so it's like the guy that shows up to church to hand out business cards or the person that really has no evidence of any walk with the Lord but all of a sudden around campaigning time as they run for political office you start to see him in the biggest church in town they like the idea of what the family of God and the kingdom of God can do for them. Let's take the heat off of those folks and let's put it right onto our lives. I would bet some of us fall into this category from time to time. Um, this is the person that quite honestly sees Jesus more like a genie in a lamp that you rub from time to time when things really go off the rails. All of a sudden, your prayer life starts happening. All of a sudden, you talk, start talking spiritual. Showing up and doing spiritual things like going to church, you get back connected with your small group, whatever, because things in life are going so tough. And Jesus seems like just a great resource when the going gets tough, but never at any point have you considered him as the source, the sustainer of your life and who you are. Just like these itinerant Jewish exorcists. You want the Christianity and the power of Jesus without the Christ. doesn't work like that. This particular group of people needed to be ministered to, needed to be discipled. Oh, and oh, discipler who is faithfully walking with the Lord and wanting to make disciples of the people with a selfish motive. This is a really tricky one because let me just let me help us out and just remind us we can only see fruit that is produced on the tree. We cannot see the roots. Let me just help y'all out. God has reserved. A certain place within his creation called humanity that only he has access to, and that is the motivations of our heart. We can't see it. Now, we're going to make judgment about other people's motivations, and heck, you might be right, but it's just a guess on your best day. Quite frankly, most of us can't even rightly identify the misplaced motives of our own hearts, so what makes us think that we can rightly identify, identify the misplaced motives of others? You hear what I'm saying? This is a place that God has reserved for himself. So, for you to try to step into that category and assume a selfish motive of someone's heart means you just stepped out of bounds in your disciple making mission. That's a place where the Holy Spirit belongs, and that's it. You may notice from the fruit that is happening, but we have a job of making disciples, even of the people in our lives that have selfish or misplaced motives. And here's what we see from the Apostle Paul. All right? Since this is a tricky one, we have to approach it from a different angle. Here's what he did. He modeled a life that could be mimicked. The power of God was working so meaningfully through Paul's life that even these guys thought, "Eh, we don't believe in Jesus, but what the heck, let's give it a try. Something about it was drawing to them. The apostle Paul tells in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, follow me as I follow Christ. In other words, set an example. He told Timothy in 1 Timothy. Chapter 4, he says, set an example in speech and life and love and faith and impurity. Like, we can't judge the motives of the human heart. We can assume them, but we can't judge them. So, like, let's not slip into the temptation of being hypocrites ourselves, of being more concerned about the misplaced motivation in someone's life versus actually setting a biblical and godly display with our lives so that they have something authentic to look at. What do you, th- what do you say? That's number one. We want to model a life that's worthy of being mimicked as we follow Christ, that people would see how we love our families, how we lead, how we serve, how we pray. The second thing is celebrate what you can. Celebrate what you can. We don't really get to see how the Apostle Paul responds to the sons of Sceva right here, but we do see a similar situation happen when he was in Philippi, and when he wrote back to the Philippians in Philippians chapter 1, verse 18, there were people that had come to the Apostle Paul and said, hey, those guys over there, they're preaching Jesus, but they're not a part of our group. Like, they're not really followers of Jesus. They're just preaching the Apostle Paul's heart towards this is really powerful. He said in Philippians chapter 1, verse 18, basically this. Whether they preach from false motives or the right motives, I'm going to rejoice because Jesus is being preached. So let's celebrate what we can. You see the guy coming in to hand out business cards? You see somebody showing up? into your religious circles around campaigning time, like, man, hey, I'm so glad that you're here. We're so glad to have you worshiping with us. Man, it's a great place to be. We, we love having, having our community members here worshiping with us. You, you got a family member that has no real evidence of a walk with Christ, but yet you're standing by the hospital bed with them, and all of a sudden they get super religious? Celebrate what you can. Don't be worried about how they used to be. Don't be worried about what might happen in the future. Why don't you just, let's be present in the moment and celebrate what we can. Pray with them, call out to Jesus with them. Trust God with them, cry with them, pray with, just let the Lord work in that moment. Who knows what the Lord will do? Celebrate what we can. Last but not least, pray for what we can't. You might observe the things recognize it's out of bounds for you to try to step into that, I'm going to just pray about that. I see this thread in so-and-so's life. I can't fix it. It's not even my business to address it. So I'm going to just ask the Holy Spirit to step into the spaces that are meant for him alone, to fix the motive of the human heart. Oh, and, and Jesus, while you're doing that in his life, would you do that in my life too? Uh-oh. All right. That's group number three. Before we leave group number three, what's cool about this one, because it is such a tricky people group to make disciples of, the writer of Acts, Luke, he actually gives us a, like a compare and contrast. So you got these people that are approaching Jesus with a selfish motive, wanting what they can get from him, and then you get a little snapshot of these people, really powerful moment. And also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magical arts and sorcery, they brought their books together and they burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found to be about 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Like what a stunning moment. These people didn't just want what Jesus had to offer them. They were willing to sacrifice everything about who they used to be to be able to walk faithfully with Jesus now. They didn't make the mistake of saying, you know what, I choose Jesus and I'm gonna go rent a storage shed across town and I'm gonna put my sorcery books in there and I'm gonna lock it up because I don't plan on ever going back to that. They didn't wanna leave room in their lives to go across that bridge again. They knew that in a dark moment, in a hard time, when they got caught up in their feelings, that they might drift back into who they used to be so they burnt the bridge. So they couldn't go back. They took those books, these very expensive, very rare books, and they burned them in the public square so everybody could see them and there was no way to go back to who they used to be. They were burning the ships to chase after Jesus. They knew the temptation was real to slip back into the old them. They knew that that could happen and so they took away the opportunity it sounds super spiritual and a little bit out of reach when we read something like that because we're like, man, that's pretty wild right there. You know, that's stuff that we see on movies and stuff. But, like, I just wanted to share with you a personal story. I, This happened in my life, in my life, and it came out of nowhere, man. I'd spent several years just as a church member of a sleepy little country church that, as far as I can tell, had never seen any real movements of the Holy Spirit, You know, every once in a while, people would come up to the altar and get saved. Week after week, we'd stand there, and we'd hold hands, and we'd sing, Just As I Am, and the pastor would stand there by himself. And the only people that really gave their lives to Christ was so-and-so's grandkids. She'd bring them up there. That happened about once or twice a year, and that was about it. Like, no big moments of repentance, no sweeping movement of God where people were just down at the altar pouring out their lives. It was just kind of stale, sleepy country church. Until this happened. It wasn't at a pastoral conference. It wasn't a fiery revival that got preached. The pastor didn't have some grand awakening in his own life. No, it was, um, it was a group of teenagers when they got back from summer camp. And y'all know how it is. Kids come back from summer camp, and they're all so jacked up and excited. And, oh, man, we're going we're gonna to storm the gates of hell with a water pistol. Like, we're gonna do whatever. Some of that just set in for some of y'all. Okay, all right. That's an old church joke. (laughs) I'm glad that y'all like it though. We'll do whatever it takes. We're never going back. I'm gonna follow Jesus my whole life. Some of y'all been there. Some of y'all seen it. While the church members sit back and like, oh yeah, just wait, just wait. They'll go back to being them knuckleheads, you know. Well, these students came back on fire like they always were from summer camp which we got summer camp coming up in a couple weeks, by the way. Get your teenagers signed up. They came back from summer camp on fire as they always were. They were making promises of grandeur like they always did. They had their weepy little Sunday night church service where they told us the stories about how God changed their life. And everybody just expected things to drift back to normal within the next week or so, but it didn't. That group of teenagers decided, you know what? we want to continue to worship God together. So they got together like teenagers do and they had a little Bible study and somebody whipped out a guitar and they had a time of worship and they had a little bonfire and they gathered around and they sang their kumbayas and their little worship tunes or whatever and the Spirit of God so gripped their heart that teenagers started confessing sins one to another. Just like these witches came out and started confessing their sins. And I'm not talking about like, just confessing like, oh yeah, I struggled with my thought life, and yeah, I had a bad attitude of my mom last week and I'm talking about confessing deep and dark rooted sins in their life to one another, which just in case you've forgotten is social suicide for a teenager. To confess sins to other teenagers, it's gonna find its way through the halls of school, man. But the Holy Spirit had so gripped their heart that they started confessing sins one to the other. And God led them. They, they had not been taught Acts 19. They had not been taught that by their youth pastor, their lead pastor. None of them, as far as I know, had ever studied Acts 19. But the Holy Spirit prompted them to those, thing, those sinful things in their life that kept drawing them away from a right relationship with the Lord, prompted them to leave the bonfire that night. I'm not, I wish, I'm not, this, I live this. This ain't a story I just made up. They left the bonfire that night and they went to their homes and they grabbed their computers, their game stations, their porno magazines, their drugs. Everything that was in their life that the enemy was using to keep them from following Jesus, they brought all that stuff back to the fire and they burned it all. Parents didn't know whether to be mad or celebrate. I mean, they pulled whole computers out of their house and threw them in the fire because they knew of their porn addiction. They didn't want to give themselves an opportunity to walk back across the bridge again. So they burned it to the ground. And that's not the end of the story. That was on a Saturday night. The next morning, these same teenagers came back with envelopes, and they had written their names on their own personal envelopes, and they swept the ashes of who they used to be into the envelopes and sealed them. And that morning at church, typical Sunday morning, same old, lame old, frozen, chosen service. Everybody stood up at the end, and we held hands, and we sang the same old hymns, and nobody's heart was stirred. And then one by one, Teenager, teenager started popping out of the crowd and they brought the envelopes of who they used to be and they, they laid them down on the altar and made a public proclamation that they were never going back. For the next 13 weeks, their parents, adults in our community, we're coming down week after week, confessing Jesus as the Lord of their life and being saved. Real revival broke out in this sleepy country church. An altar whose the 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 best carpet in the whole church was at the altar because nobody ever spent any time there. I actually called my mom yesterday to ask her, like, what's been the long range for the next eighteen years? There are individuals and families down at that altar pouring out their lives to the Lord, laying down their lives to the Lord yet again, week after week after week after week after week week for eighteen years. Honestly, it went all the way up until the whole church shut down thing at the pandemic. That long. Because there was just a few that decided we ain't going back. I wish you could meet some of these teenagers today that are now in their 30s and see what God is doing in their lives and in their families. But I want you to know that even with the selfish motive category, man, the Holy Spirit can step in and wreck someone's world, and it can change a whole church and a community. And I know he wants to do the same thing in and through us. Category number four, last but not least. i got to fly through this one because... About that time, there was no little disturbance concerning the way the Jesus movement had become so big and off the rails that like, it was causing a lot of disturbance at Ephesus for the man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. They made a fortune off of Artemis. The the temple of Artemis is one of the seven great wonders of the world. Ephesus is a port city, and you could come into Ephesus and get all your Artemis stuff. They were making Artemis earrings, skateboards. Everything you wanted, Artemis, they made a fortune off of this stuff. And he gathered these craftsmen together with the workmen in similar trades. And he says, guys, like, you know that from this business, like, this is how we get our wealth. And you see in here that not only in Ephesus, but almost all throughout Asia, like, Paul has persuaded people to turn away, like, tons of people. And he's saying that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. And there's a danger that not only this trait of ours is going to come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis is going to be counted as nothing, and that she may be deposed of from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. And when they heard this, they were enraged, and they cried out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with confusion, and they all rushed together into the theater because they wanted to have a town hall meeting about this. And they dragged with him Gaius and Aristarchus and the Macedonians who Paul had had his companions in travel. And Paul wanted to go in amongst the crowd. He wanted to debate and argue amongst them. He wanted to show them the way, but the disciples wouldn't let him go. And even some of the Asiarchs, the guys that ran Asia, who were Paul's friends, said, dude, don't go in there. They don't want to hear from you. They just want to kill you. Now, this is what was happening inside the theater. Some were crying out one thing. Some were yelling one thing, and some were yelling another. And the assembly was all in confusion because most of them didn't even know why they had come together. This is American politics and social media at its best right there. You got somebody yelling one thing, and somebody yelling another thing, and most everybody else doesn't have a clue what they're talking about, but they're yelling too, because the people they like are yelling about the thing, and it was happening then too. This is category number four. Last but not least, this is the category... Of Folks, in our lives, this is the path Jesus talked about. There will be some seeds fall on the path, and the birds are just going to come snatch them away. It is so hard there. There is no soil. This is the people of a different mission. The people of a different mission. Bird seed on the path. These people weren't open to discussion. You have some of those in your life? They weren't open to discussion. Their God wasn't Artemis. Their God was their wallet. And they were willing to tear down anything that stood in the way of that. They'd live and let live as long as you didn't bother them. But like, if your religion started getting in the way of their financial portfolio, then down with Jesus. That was this group. And I want you to, did you see how Paul handled this situation? You see what he did? You see what he said? Nothing. Wait, what? Nothing. Well, I thought, us Christians, we need to get loud and boisterous and, We need to yell back across the theater at him. he knows he did nothing. Now, Paul, those of you that were here last week, Paul's heart rate was probably over 95 BPM. And so by the glory of God, he had some guys around him whose heart rate was under 95 BPM. And they said, whoa, bro, I know you want to go there and set the record straight, but it ain't going to do anything. Don't go in there. Run the chance of bringing ill repute. On the glory of God, on your own life, just stay out of that mess, man. I, I, I draw this from silence, but I'm assuming that they probably prayed. Prayed for the people in that community, but he didn't go in there and do anything. He didn't say anything. He didn't debate. He didn't go in there and try to fight and argue his way because his friends, under 95 BPM, recognize that like nobody has ever been argued into the kingdom of God. This was a useless cause in the moment. They were going to have to trust the Holy Spirit to step in and do a powerful work. They had already heard. This is why they were angry. They already knew what was up. There was no sense in going in there just to start a fight and think it was some holy crusade to the glory of God. It wasn't going to do anything. Interestingly enough, of these four categories, O oh, disciple-makers of these four categories that we are called to immerse ourselves in, the one that we are told to essentially do nothing is the one that we spend most of our energy in. Y'all hearing me? How much energy have the American Christian Church put into arguing with the darkness? Comparatively, how much energy has been put into that versus the energy the American Christian Church has put into going and making disciples. We think we're going to change the world by yelling back across the theater in a room full of people who have no idea what in the heck's going on anyways? It's not going to change the world. Christianity doesn't need keyboard, wa- keyboard warriors fighting back. Believe it or not, God's a big boy. He needs not be defended. As a matter of fact, Charles Spurgeon said it best. He said, The word of God is like a lion. You don't have to defend a lion. All you have to do is let the lion loose, and the lion will defend itself. There ain't no holy crusades here. We're not called to go and start arguments with the world around us. We're called to go and make disciples. And if they don't want to hear it, talk to the ones that do. Let's just start there. There's plenty of them that do. We see this picture in Paul's life of how he handled the four categories of people that Jesus told us existed all the way back in Mark chapter 4. And I know it's tough, but I know the Holy Spirit wants to be the faithful guide for you as a disciple maker, to make disciples in these very difficult relationships in your life. But if you find yourself on one of these categories, I want you to know the Holy Spirit, Jesus himself is so in love with you. He wants to invite you to graduate out of that. He wants you to join his family and his kingdom and his mission. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your commitment to us. And we thank you for your commitment to saturate the world with the knowledge of the glory of God. And however you want to use us in whatever complex and strange and complicated ways to do that, Lord, we are yours. So have your way in us. In Jesus' name we pray.